Today is baptism day, so I'm a little jazzed. And baptism day always gets me very, very excited. Uh, so, uh, but I'm going to be uh, try to rein it in. I also, uh, October, this is not a shameless plug. October is a pa- Pastor Appreciation Month. Thank you, Hallmark, for that, whatever, whatever happened there. But October is, is Pastor Appreciation Day, and uh, somebody brought me a Starbucks, which I couldn't deny, even though I'd already drank one of my own. So if I start shaking up here, it's because I'm juiced, baby. <laughs> so... <laughs> Don't mind if you see the blood pumping through my uh, arteries here. Um, so, Anyway, I'll try to keep it under control. Uh, we have been talking about the Sermon on the Mount. And so Under Construction is all about examining these different aspects of the Sermon on the Mount and what Jesus is trying to teach us there. In Matthew chapter 5, we are in 5, 6, and 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is basically the Cliff Notes version, everything important that Jesus tries to teach is boiled down, condensed. It's the goody, good, good, good stuff of Jesus right there in the Sermon on the Mount. So um, our homework for this whole series, we're going to be in this series until Thanksgiving, is to read the Sermon on the Mount once a week. So those three chapters once a week. I'm pretty sure you can handle that. If you can't, you can download an audio Bible. They're free too. So you, can, you got this. Uh, do it. Just There's so much repetition in this uh, that will be so good to get in your brain. Um, there, this is probably the message Jesus gave when he was teaching. This is probably what Jesus was trying to teach to people. Whenever the Bible says Jesus sat down to teach, he was probably preaching the Sermon on the Mount just over and over and over again. This is his stump speech. This is his bullet points. This is what he is, is giving out. Um, he's doing that to do a couple things. One, he wants the people that are coming to hear him to know what are the bare essentials? What is this whole following Jesus thing about? How do I follow this particular rabbi at this particular time in Jesus? How do I do that? This is how. He's also, side note, teaching his disciples, when I'm gone, I want you to teach this stuff. Don't get caught up in other arguments. Don't get caught up in other stuff. Don't, don't get off anywhere else. You stay to this message. This is what I want. So it's, it's doing a twofold thing. Do you see how that's happening? Because if you hear the same message every, every week, I had somebody say, Jared, you should seem to be preaching the same thing a lot lately. I was like, yeah, because you need to get it. Right? Like, so you, you preach the same message because it's like, this is important. Well, you haven't got it yet, so let's do it again. All right, you haven't got it again. Let's do it again. Um, there's a reason, like, as a youth pastor, I had, like, four messages. That was it. It just kept on doing the same four over and over and over again because, like, all right, all right, people, you need to know God loves you. Your value comes from him. Uh, and don't have sex until you're married. Uh, a couple, couple other really important stuff. Why? Because of this, this, and this. Um, a couple of them were to make parents happy. A couple of them were to make me happy. Uh, but that's okay. Um, today, we're going to talk about, it's kind of a PG-13 uh, version, but if you've been doing your homework, you know what's coming because I'm going in, in order of the Beatitudes. We're talking about lust and adultery this morning. Yay, popular topics. We're going to talk about lust and we're going to talk about adultery this morning. <laughs> Some of you are like, really? What? 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 Relax. We're gonna. We're gonna. Everyone deals with this issue. I'm not gonna come up here and say I've got this uh, figured out and I do it all perfect and everything is is good to go. Lust and adultery is an incredibly, incredibly important topic. I think it's an incredibly important topic for us as a community, for us as um, believers, for us as people in America right now. Um, Hugh Hefner died this week. Single-handedly uh, made lust more accessible to our country, right? Um, that's his legacy. He has other things he did. Um, some of them are redeeming qualities, but 
what he propagated all over the country took us to a different layer level of access to lust. That wasn't, that's a symptom of the problem of lust. That's a symptom of the problem of adultery. It's just because he came out with certain magazines. Oh, well, now I'm going to lust. That, that was already ingrained into human experience as it was already ingrained into the culture in which Jesus is talking about. Let's read this, and then I'll talk a little bit more why Jesus is bringing up these topics. Matthew chapter 5. You've heard it that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, underline the word stumble, we're going to come back to that, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to go into hell. It is said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Real light stuff we got going on today. What Jesus is speaking into the specific moment is because people are asking the question. They're starting to to look at the old Ten Commandments. They're looking at the the rules and and regulations of the Old Testament and go, what part of this do we need to apply today? And Jesus is speaking right into that. Last week, he he talked about murder, which is one of the Ten Commandments, one of the basis of, of, of Jewish law. And he talked, took that even a step further back and said, don't, this is how you're supposed to handle anger. And so this week he's taking another one of the, the fundamentals of the Ten Commandments and don't, have, don't commit adultery. And then he's taking it back another step and saying don't lust. Do you see what he's, he's doing there? Instead of just the end result, don't do that. See, and that's how I operate a lot. I've, I've operated a lot in my life is what can I get away with? So I can go up all the way to the line, but don't go over that line. Jesus is saying don't even flirt with the line. Don't run at the line. Don't look at the line. Just stay away from the line. Everyone's life is better if you don't go up to the line. Now, so there's two people, kinds of people in the world, right? There's the kind of person that you can say, hey, don't touch that. That's hot. And they go, eh, okay. And there's another person in the, in the world that's like, don't touch that. That's hot. Really? What? How? Right? You have that. Kelly is one. Her sister is the other. Made for very, very interesting conversations in their, in their household and teenage years, right? But that, that's just there's two different kinds of people in the world that, that can learn from other people's mistakes or they have to experience it for themselves. And Jesus is saying, listen, listen, don't go there. Don't go there so much that it's better for you to gouge out your eye, cut your arm off, you, whatever. Don't go there. And so he's, he's speaking to that. Why is this a topic of conversation? Because in the Roman world, it was, it was very prevalent to have extramarital affairs. Um, Rome, it was like the city of Pompeii, the one that got destroyed by the volcano, uh, Mount Vesuvius. It was basically like a Las Vegas type uh, place, a New Orleans type place where you went there to gamble, to do uh, crazy things. That, that was the whole reason you went to Pompeii. And uh, so it, it, it was... I've been there, and as they excavated this this two thousand year old city, there's actually like pornography all over the seat, the the walls, like as advertisement for brothels and and for other things that you could participate in. Apparently, um, so you know we don't have anything like that in our culture. Wait a minute, we've got lots of stuff like that in our culture. There's all kinds of these things going on, 
Um, and so um, this whole idea of, of uh, sexual promiscuity is all over the place in the Roman world at this time. If they're the people in charge of your culture, it starts to trickle down. If it's good enough for the bosses, why can't I participate in it? Also in Roman culture, you have this idea of our leaders. Um, it was very, very cultural taboo to be caught in an um, extramarital affair, but everybody was doing it. So it was okay as long as you didn't get caught. All right? Um, also, doesn't apply to us today either, right? Um, so we have this very, very weird thing going on, and people are looking around the common man who Jesus is talking to at this time, and they're going, well, if they can do it, why can't I do it? And so Jesus is trying to lay down this, this hard rule. Hey, guys, this is not where you want to be. This is not a place that you want to put your hearts. This is not a place that you want to step into. You want to be above this, uh, apart from it, set apart from all these things. And uh, he, he really steps into that because he knows what the end result is. He knows what happens when you start going down that train. He knows what happens when you start going down and getting close to that line. Because what he says is it's better for you to gouge out your eye than for you because you're, you're on the highway to hell, basically, if you start doing these things. Don't get there. And we talked about hell last week. We're going to talk about it again this week uh, and what Jesus is really uh, alluding to at this, this moment. But that will be a little bit later in the message. A couple things happen when we lust. And I don't want to just be stuck on lust as this idea of um, uh, sexual urges or all that things. I think we lust a lot over possessions. We lust a lot over uh, different jobs. We lust a lot over other things, uh, not just in our, uh, our, it's not just a sexual issue. I think we lust over things all the time at different phases in our life. Um, But lusting, Jesus says, is a trip hazard. Watch out. It's going to cause you to stumble. The word there actually is scandalizo. Do you think we get the word scandal from this, this word? Uh, scandalizo is the Greek word used to talk about a trip hazard. So he's like, it's, lust is a stumbling block. It's a trip hazard. It's an entrapment tool. It is basically a, a, a tool in which you will, uh, it's a pitfall. It's a place you'll walk over, break in, and get stabbed in the foot, and that's how people will kill you. Like, this is what he's alluding to. We have a video to show you the depths of trip hazards today. <clears throat> you imagine? Just you're on your cell phone. You're playing Candy Crush. you got a good old game going. Whoa, there's a bear. Like, that would be very, very exciting. But here's the deal. We get so entrapped in, in, in the things that are distracting us. Like, we get so caught up in those things that we don't know what's going on in the world around us, and it becomes a tripping hazard, right? You, you hear that. You see that? Because we get caught up in the stuff we're lusting after. It becomes the object of our affection. We are all in on this job idea. We're all in on this four-door, uh, four-wheel drive Jeep that's just beautiful, and we want it really badly. Um, sorry. And we get all caught up in maybe what this relationship could be like, and all of a sudden, we find ourselves just tripping. And falling. And that poor lady fell in a basement. And they just looked at her. Like, come on, people, help a lady out. But anyway, um, don't walk and text at the same time. Like, if we can't drive and do it, you shouldn't be able to walk and do it as well. <clears throat> Anywho, we had way too much fun this week in the office watching tripping videos for hours and hours. That is a, that is a uh, rabbit hole that you can get into. Um, tripping in the workplace is, is a, a huge thing. Uh, did you know that tripping, slipping and tripping uh, falls 
account for 20% of emergency room vi- uh, visits. Tripping and falling uh, account for 20% of all emergency uh, visits. Slipping, like on ice, like doing the little stutter step thing, that accounts for like another 9 million visits. Because you know you've done it and you're like, oh, my back. Okay, we just, it doesn't like those little movements things. Uh, we also had a lot of ice watching videos as well, but those didn't make the cut. <clears throat> there you go. Um, tripping is a big deal. It accounts for all kinds of injuries. It's a, I think it was something like uh, $20 million, uh, million dollars is, is used every year just talking about tripping, like for the medical costs. It's some sort of like $90 million in paying workman's comp stuff because of tripping. It, it's, it's insane because people aren't watching what they're doing. They're not paying attention. Now, sometimes it's difficult. Like sometimes it's, it, there's actual really tripping hazards and, and doing all kinds of stuff. Sometimes it's your own fault. Sometimes it's the environment's fault. Um, you know, the race, when it, it's going to freeze here in a couple of weeks and all of a sudden the sidewalks become a Jenga board, right? <laughs> like this because, uh, because the ground gets hard and, and now it's really easy to trip because now the, the ground's actively trying to hurt you and, and things like that. But um, tripping is a real idea. And this idea of scandalizo, this idea that lust is a tripping hazard, we've got to keep our eyes peeled for it. We can't just walk blindly around and get on our phones and do-do-do-do-do and fall on our faces, and often when we get caught up into lust, when we get caught up into lust over possessions or people or things or whatever it is, ideas, vacations, whatever, when we caught up in lust in that, all of a sudden we find ourselves tripping over the mundane. We find ourselves tripping over things. If we would have been looking around, we would never have fallen into that in the first place. When we lust, we crave something that is not ours. When we lust, we crave something that is not ours. This causes a problem. We want ownership of something that's not ours. We haven't earned it. We don't have the relationship with it. I want a four-door Jeep. I've been wanting one since 2005 when they came out. See, I had a Jeep. It turned into a minivan. Minivans and Jeeps are not the same thing. (laughs) If you ask Bowen what daddy wants for his birthday, he will say a Jeep. Well, if we pull into one next to the parking lot, it's like, is that the Jeep you want, Daddy? I'm like, man, i got to quit talking about this thing. So my staff and their infinite wisdom and grace and mercy towards me bought me a remote-controlled Jeep last year. Thank you, guys. <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, I, but if I can vacillate between the idea of I want a Jeep, yeah, you know what I should do? I should save for that, and I should keep it appropriate. Instead of what happens when Billy comes to men's group on Monday night, and he rolls up in his four-door Jeep, and now I don't like Billy because he has a four-door Jeep. Right? That's childish. It's silly. It's dumb, but that's lust, right? Lust has caused me to, to have a different opinion of a person because they have what I want. Well, I don't know his story. I don't know any of these things. And I like Billy fine, by the way. But, uh, but it's still that same, that gut reaction. Oh, I want that. We do this with people. We do it with things. We do it with experiences. We do it with jobs. I'm going to keep it light sometimes by talking about cars a lot today. But I hope you can take out that metaphor and put it towards your other stuff today, Okay. We crave something that's not ours when we lust. Second thing we do when we lust is we crave something that's not real. We crave something that's not real. Lusting creates stories and narratives that are based on what we want, not what is real. 
we play mind games with ourselves in lust. It would be so much better if I was at that job. They never would have to deal with a dumb boss, and they would get raises every three months, and everyone would respect everything that I do. We make up narratives that, oh, man, the, um, if I just had that boat, then my kids would love me. If I just had this car, then my job would go better. If I just, we, have, we make up things that aren't even rational. Like, we think they are. There's this big, beautiful plan in our, in our life, and they, they don't make any sense because we've made a story that's not real, and we've pinned our hopes and dreams on something that's not real either. And we do it all the time. This is what lust does. Lust creates stories. It creates lies in our life that something that we don't have would fix our problems. And we fall into this trap. We fall into this trap with relationships. We fall into this trap with experiences. We fall into this trap with jobs. How many times, oh, if I just moved jobs, I'd be so much happier. Now, sometimes some of you are in really terrible jobs. That's real. But sometimes you just trade some problems for other problems, right? And that person is happy for about three months, and then all of a sudden they realize, I don't like it here either. Well, the job changed. You didn't. What's the problem? Maybe our attitude. We, we expect a job. We expect money. We expect um, an experience to fulfill us, and those things are never going to fulfill us. They're never going to save us. They're never going to make us feel full. And then finally, we crave something that will not last when we lust. When we lust, we crave something that will not last. We crave something. We crave, when we crave a item, a person, a thing, we are actually, what we're doing in our mind is we're turning them into a possession. So if it's a person, we just turn them now into a possession. And why do we get irrationally mad at that person? Why do we get irrationally mad at this situation? Why do we get irrationally mad when, when something breaks on, on something else so now we can't afford our object of affection? It's because we've turned this thing, this person, this relationship into a possession. And possessions rust. Possessions fade. Possessions age. Possessions break. And so when we lust, we're setting ourselves up for this idea that... that Things are going to disappoint us even faster. To deal with lust, we must be careful. We must be obsessive about removing tripping hazards. Sometimes we're talking about under construction. But it's like if you've ever walked into a work zone, there's tripping hazards everywhere. That we were tearing down uh, and working downstairs on a work day. And so we were, there are nails falling from the ceiling, and we are tearing out things, and sledgehammers are being swung. Steve Mock comes in, and he's all ready to go. He brought a wheelbarrow. He's just going to tear out everything in the basement. He is, he is fired up. Steve Mock's one of our wonderful elders here at the church. And he walks down there, and he, he's been in this church since he was about two months old. Uh, so, like, he is, you know, he's been here. He walks downstairs, takes one load up, comes back downstairs, steps on a nail. He was at the church for 45 seconds. There is tripping hazards everywhere. Now, thankfully, that the, he, he had some running shoes on or something, and the nail went right between his big toe and his, no, between, not in, between uh, the other toe. He's like, whoo, took his shoe off. He was very excited that it didn't puncture anything. Thank you, Jesus. Um, but... We had tripping hazards all over the place. And if you've ever walked into a construction zone, they are all over the place. And you need to be very, 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 very careful about it. 
And we've got to do, and life is the same way when our life is trying to be reconstructed, when we're trying to work on the things that we need to work on. It is like we've got, we all of a sudden look down, we're like, oh my goodness, there are landmines all over the place. We've got to look at them. And it's not like, oh, you know, I had people over the house a couple weeks ago. I spent 45 minutes picking up landmines that Sophie had deposited all over the backyard. I was very meticulous about it because the thing I don't want to have is, hey, why don't you come over to my house, squish? Oh, that ruins a night, right? We're going to have little kids over the house. We're going to have my baby walking around the the backyard. I got to be very, 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 very meticulous about what's going to happen. You wouldn't leave those things around when you've got people around, but we do that in our own life. We're like, oh, well, that's a danger zone. But I just know, you know, when I put a little duct tape around, a little caution tape, we just walk around that spot. Yeah, it's okay. Right? I got a baby right now. She's crawling. She's mobile. Very mobile. She went from zero to 60 and like, boom, like this, right? And she, you think she's in one room? She's not there. Uh, so, but you're like, where did you find that? I've been looking for that Lego for months. How did you get, why is that in your mouth? What's going on? You know, she's eight months old. So everything goes, oh, she's going to have more dog hair in her system. She's plenty of protein. All right. So she, but she's, she's mobile in that. So I got to be very, very, got to change our whole mindset. How do we remove the hazards from our life? And not until you have, and not until you try to clean up those hazards, do you actually even notice them. They become so rote. Like this, this is always here every week. I don't run into this, but last week I put a new table up here, put a propane tank on top of it, and I knocked it over. That was fun, right? It was fun for everybody. I caught the propane tank. Thank you very much. But it was here. It was a new thing. It was a new hazard. I wasn't even paying attention to it. But often in our lives, we're like, oh yeah, I know where that. I just don't go there. I just don't do this. Just don't. We're good. We're good. But as soon as we start opening our eyes to new types of of distractions and new types of, of tripping hazards. We need to, oh, this is what's going on. This is dangerous. This is dangerous. We got to be obsessive about removing those things from our life. Because what does Jesus say? If you start stumbling into lust, it's better for you to just take out an eye. It's better for you to cut off an arm. And his use of right arm is actually intentional because everyone basically worked with their right arm. Right arm was your, your work arm. It's what you did everything. It's better for you to lose the way in which you earn money than to fall into lust and adultery. I just think that's amazing. The first way in which we deal with lust is we must be careful to remove the distractions. Jesus says these distractions, this lust, leads to Hell. Now, the word here for hell is Gehenna. We talked a little bit about this week, last week, but I want to uh, reiterate it. Hell here, the word Gehenna, is an actual place outside of Jerusalem. Now, Jesus is talking about the spiritual realm, and he's actually talking about the physical place at the same time, because Jesus is always talking about in alluding to object lessons, right? Gehenna is a real place at a real time, and it's really nasty. The Valley of, of, of Hinna is what Gehenna means, was a place that um, ancient people used to have baby sacrifices to a god named Molech. And so they would sacrifice the baby, and they throw the baby in the, in, um, in the valley, and that would be their um, offering to the god. I don't know what they were trying to get out of that. I don't know what, what, that, what that all was, but baby sacrifices, human sacrifices were happening there. And so when the Jews took over this area, that became extremely taboo. Um, Life is very sacred to Jewish people, as it should be. And so 
Valley of Gehenna was about as antithetical to God as it possibly could be. Gehenna was the place without God. That was the bad place. That was the worst place you possibly could be. So since no one could buy that land, no one could cultivate that land, no one could grow anything in that land because no one's going to touch it, no one's going to come close to that valley, they uh, started using it as a landfill. And so they'd throw a bunch of junk in there and then light it on fire because that's what guys do, right? You throw trash somewhere and it's always better with fire. And so they'd light it on fire. And so the Valley of Gehenna was this place of constant burning, constant junk, constant stuff. And so dogs were attracted to this valley because that's where the refuse was. And then they would start fighting over bones and stuff. And you hear the weeping and gnashing of teeth was talking about the dogs fighting over bones in the Valley of Gehenna. Does this make sense? So, so everybody there that made a trip at the Passover and made a trip to, um, to Jerusalem knew about this nasty valley. They'd seen it. They'd smelled it. Like, you know, I used to live on the wrong side or the good side of a hill that was a landfill on the other side. But if the wind changed during a, just randomly, you all of a sudden, mm, that's delicious. You know, that's some potpourri we got going on here. You know, when that wind changed. So when the wind changed, at 120 degrees outside, and the landfill of Gehenna was coming towards you of, the, of all the smoke and the burning and all that stuff came towards your house, you knew that was the bad smell. That's the bad place. That was hell on earth. Jesus, when he talks about the stumbling block of lust, is saying, you are on the highway to there. If you give in to this, if, if you let this be part of your life, if you're incorporating it in part of your life, if you don't remove it, you're going there as far away from God as you possibly can. Does this make sense? I, w- I, want, I want, want that kind of cemented in your head because Jesus has used it. He doesn't talk about hell very often. He really doesn't. But in the last two weeks, he's talked about it with, with anger and he's talked about it with lust. So if Jesus doesn't talk about hell that often, we probably should really pay attention to when he does. How... We, we must be careful to remove distractions. And the second thing that we do to get over lust, to get away from lust, is we must enjoy what we have. We must enjoy what we have. We must enjoy what we have. I have a 15-year-old truck. I paid it off on Monday. Woo-woo. I put $1,000 into it on Friday. That is not how that's supposed to work, folks. All right, hence why I'm talking a lot about cars today. Our relationship is strained, mine and my truck. Um, we're, we're having issues. We need automobile counseling. Uh, but so what, why I bring that up is that I need to remember the good points of my truck. In your relationships, you're going to have stuff that goes on that you're going to need to remember the good points. You're going to have times and seasons in life when you need to remember the good points. We must enjoy what we have instead of lusting after what we don't, right? I got to remember that my truck, I get to throw my kids in the back, and I don't care if they have mud on their shoes. If I had a brand new truck, oh, we would care. We would have little booties and all kinds of stuff. You know, my truck, I don't care. Throw stuff in the back of the, in the bed of the truck, great. Somebody, I pull into Mariano's, and some lady goes, wham, with the door against my truck. I don't care. It's 15 years old. Parts of it will just fall off. It's okay. <laughs> it's actively trying to kill me, which is an interesting thing. Um, but anyway, um, but we must enjoy what we have. We've got to look at the parts that make us go, oh, man, I love having this. I like this. 
In our relationships, we need to enjoy what we have. In our jobs, we need to enjoy what we have. We need to change our attitudes. Sometimes this is really hard. If we are predisposed to be negative, pessimistic people, this is really difficult, right? But we need to say, okay, wait, 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 wait. What is the good point in this? This job gives me flexible hours. This job provides for my family. This does this. You know, look at the positives in these things. We must enjoy what we have because I guarantee you, once you acquire the other thing, it will have problems. It will have scrapes. It will have stuff. It will have issues. You buy a brand new, if I bought a brand new truck, how long would I have it off the, off the lot before it got its first scratch? About five minutes, maybe if I'm lucky. Because I'd be like so excited looking at my wife and I hit a pothole and be like, oh, there went the rims. Like that's, that's Jared. We buy used, okay? So it's just, just the way it is. It's that way. It would be that way if you're lusting after a different relationship. How long before that person disappoints you? About five minutes. The final thing that you need to do is that we must respect the relationship. <laughs> Love it. Can you hear the kids? They're, uh, they're talking about Jonathan and, and uh, Michael today, and it's one of my favorite stories. So uh, found in 1 Samuel if you want to read along with your kids. Anyway, uh, we must respect the relationship. We must respect the relationship. One of the reasons I don't have a lust, lust issue with other um, females is because I respect the baloney out of Kelly, and I respect this relationship. I also respect the fact that she would kill me, but I respect <laughs> the relationship. All right? We must respect the relationship. Does that mean that I got everything unlocked? Does that mean that, um, that things don't distract me? No, absolutely not. I'm human. You're human. But I respect the relationship to want better for it. I respect it. I hold it in high esteem. <laughs> you're, you're really going for it down there. That's awesome. Um, see, in my relationship... I cover things with caution tape. Uh, when we were first married, I'd never lived with a girl besides my mom, right? I'm an only child, so I didn't have a sister. I didn't know what Victoria's Secret magazines were. And then all of a sudden, they started showing up all over my house. I was like, I don't, I don't, I don't appreciate this. Like, it's not that I'm, I'm, I'm falling into lust all of a sudden, but I don't need the on-ramp to lust, right? I don't need, need these things. Kelly never thought about it. She never grew up with boys. She never knew that was a thing. I was like, bah, bah. real awkward conversation. Oh, honey. I'm like 21, right? Honey, could we uh, not have Victoria's Secret magazines everywhere? She's like, sure. Like, it should be helpful. She's like, like it took her a good like half an hour, but oh, you probably don't want it in the half-naked women all over the place. Yeah, that'd, that'd be good. That'd be good. That'd be good. That'd be good. <laughs> Thanks, hon. Like, it was a real awkward conversation, but it's one of those things like, oh, I could do that because I respected the relationship. And now she's, I haven't seen a Victoria's Secret magazine in our house since I was probably 21, 22 years old since I had that conversation because she respects the relationship enough to say, you know what? I don't need to give my husband a stumbling block. Could she have been like, well, control yourself, jerk? Right? She could have. That would have been a, I would have understood that. But no, she said, I'm going to respect the relationship. I'm going to keep that, keep that away. And there's all kinds of other stuff. I, we, you got to be able to build the right filters into your um, search browser. 
Do the same thing for your children. This is a place in which we've got to remove the stumbling blocks for our kids. Your kids are kids. They don't have to have to have perfect filters already. They don't have to have computers in their room. They don't have to have TVs in their room. They don't have to have all the internet channels or the, or the TV channels or the access to internet that you do. Help them. As leaders in our homes, we've got to help them have filters. Help them be able to build the ideas in life that they can overcome lust. And the best way in which we help our children overcome lust is that we overcome it ourselves. And we say, you know what? I'm not, daddy's not going to look at that. We're not going to watch that because of this, this, and this. We're not going to, you know, yeah, like I had the conversation with Bowen. Yeah, Bowen, I would love to have a Jeep. I would. Because it was like consuming. How much does it cost? How many times would we have to do this? How many weddings would you have to do, Daddy, to get a Jeep? A billion. <laughs> so, um, he, was, he, was, he was trying to figure out. I appreciated the helpfulness of my son. But I was like, buddy, I don't, it's not that important that I don't have a Jeep. It's okay. It's not consuming me. I don't have to go for it. I had, had to have this conversation, but that was a weird conversation. But what it was is one I had to have to teach him that I'm not consumed by possessions, Right? That is part of who we are as parents and what we got to do. But it's also, as a family, as a church family, something that we get to do together as well. When we talk about our relationships, when we go in our small groups and we talk about things going on in our life, we get to start to help each other build these filters of how do we deal with the lust aspects of life, with our jobs, with people, with possessions. How do we do these things? We must respect relationships. Why? Because if we start giving in to lust, it leads to hell. And I don't want any of us to go there. I don't want any of us to put stumbling blocks in front of others so that we may be helping someone go to hell. What I want to do for my brothers and sisters, saying, hey, caution tape. There's a big problem right there. Naperville went through uh, any of their side sidewalks um, that might rise and fall, and they ground down the edges because people were tripping on the uh, on the sidewalks. And I was like, oh, well, Naperville, of course, would do that, right? Uh, but, but I'm surprised there's not, like, yellow paint on every single thing. But what is that like if we start doing that for for ourselves in a healthy, non-judgmental way? I hope you didn't feel any judgment today in this. But how do we do this? We just say, hey, let's do better than that. Let's do better than this. I'm removing that from my life. We do a lot here at the church. We sing upbeat songs. We, we, I dress in blue jeans and a, and a button-up shirt. We do a lot of things that kind of mimic culture, that make us accessible. We're very intentional about that. One thing that we're not going to allow and not allow to creep in is lust. And so as we address those issues... Not because we want to come down on somebody and let scarlet A's be on people's chests. It's because we don't want anybody to go to hell. Because we love you and we care about you and we love our community and we care about our community and we want more from it. It's the same thing Jesus is saying to these people. Listen, yeah, culture, culture is getting knee deep into lust. And they're all about these, these crazy things and uh, breaking down some of the societal norms that we've had for thousands of years. But you, you can be different. You can be set apart. And so maybe today you're in a place in which lust has been reigning in your heart. Lust after possessions, lust after things, lust after people. It's been something that's been kind of rattling around and something you're dealing with. 
Maybe you haven't even realized you were dealing with it until maybe today's message. So in this moment, I just want to pray that God would take some of these lust things away from you. And not only just take them away, but give you the strength to address them. Give you the strength to put caution tape on it. Give you the strength to remove it from your work site. Because we're all under construction. What kind of life do you want to build? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today. Lord, I ask you to, to show me in big, bold letters what's causing me to lust. Lord, maybe the things in my heart that I've hidden, that I've, that I've, I've, I've buried deep, that I've put away and, and try to hide from other people's, Lord, would you, would you bring that to the surface so that I can get rid of it? Instead of sweeping it under the rug, that you would, that you would expose it and let me remove it. God, I don't think I have the strength to remove all these things on my own. In fact, God, I know I don't have the strength for that. So right now, I want to give you these things. Lord, I give you my marriage. I give you my work life. I give you the way in which I spend my money. That I'd stop chasing possessions. I would stop chasing relationships that are fake. I would stop chasing all these things that probably don't matter very much. That I would enjoy what I have. I'd find a newfound respect for the, the things that I do. God, would you cleanse me? Would you move in me? Would you restore me? In Jesus' holy, wonderful name we pray. Amen.